You're listening to Westside Church. For more information, visit us at westsideinfo.com. Amen. Good morning, everybody. Uh, thanks for being here. The first few, uh, first few months, uh, the first few months when Terry and I came here almost uh, 17 years ago. Can you believe it? Uh, some of you that were here, every week we turn around, we go, they came back like this. It's great. And so l- look around. There's a wonderful family and friends. Uh, people that want to get to know you, people that you need to get to know, uh, people that have gifts and talents and abilities that are going to encourage and bless this body, and then they'll receive uh, from you as each person uh, does their part. But as Paul says in Romans 12, we're going to get there in a few weeks, actually. Uh, It's great to see all of you after this uh, holiday weekend. I trust that you're all turkeyed out and ready to... uh, get through the rest of the, uh, the busyness that's coming up in the next few weeks. We're going to continue our Roman series right through Christmas. Sometimes we take a pause and do a special series over Christmas. And uh, this year, the, it just actually fits right in. There's some verses that are ahead of us that say Jesus came just at the right time and, and uh, a lot of stuff that will really work uh, to encourage us and to encourage those that we bring uh, during these next few weeks. So looking forward to that. Remember, Romans is about the gospel, and the gospel is about Jesus. So that's the main uh, theme of Romans. And so uh, my prayer is that you will go home changed today. Some of you may have read Romans a hundred times already. Some of you have possibly never read through Romans, and this is your first time through as we go through it on Sunday mornings. But God's word is alive. It's deep, and it's rich, and it's multi-layered, and you can think that you got a lot out of it before, and you can still get something more out of it because it's eternal. It's God's eternal word. It's truth. And I just very much enjoying this series. So we're going to get into chapter 5 today. That's actually our theme verse, Romans 5.1. Therefore, since we've been made right with God in God's sight by faith and have peace, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. So that's kind of the theme uh, of Romans as well, having peace with God. And so we're going to talk about that this morning. We're only going through two verses. Last week we went through an entire chapter talking about Abraham's faith. His faith never wavered. And so I'm thankful for uh, Martha's testimony this morning of being a believer for so many years and seeing the faithfulness of God through ups and downs. I want to encourage you in your walk with God too. Some of you are brand new believers in here, and that's so exciting. Uh, Some of you have walked with God for many years. I want to encourage you uh, in your walk with God, in your journey. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't put it on uh, on the pause button. Don't put it on a shelf. Uh, Keep serving Jesus faithfully until he comes. And so some of us, uh, we get some ideas. Like we want to try stuff. Solomon was one of those guys. Uh, King Solomon was David's son. Uh, The Bible says that King Solomon got very disillusioned later on in life. If you read the first uh, few chapters of Ecclesiastes, you'll see that Solomon said, Hey, I tried everything. I tried wisdom and knowledge, which God gave him in abundance. And he said this about uh, wisdom. He said, The greater my wisdom, the greater my grief. Solomon tried pleasure. He 
he uh, collected things. He collected horses, his stalls for his horses, which each stall was like an opulent home that a person could live in. He had over a thousand horses and uh, chariots, and he amassed wealth that was unsurpassed in the history of the world. He's the wealthiest uh, man who ever lived. And uh, gold and silver were in such abundance that during Solomon's reign, there would be silver coins on the ground and people wouldn't even stoop to pick them up because they were so common. Just everywhere. Just like you don't pick up a penny. Some of you do. Some of you wait till it gets to like a quarter and then you'll pick it up. So that's inflation for you. But anyway... Solomon tried it all. He tried, uh, he tried wives. That didn't work out so well. He had 700 wives and 300 concubines, which kind of lends creed to was he actually that wise of a guy. And uh, so we don't uh, know exactly what happened to Solomon, but I'll tell you what, what did happen spiritually is his heart was toward God at the beginning and his heart turned away from God later on in life. So if you ever, have ever gone through the walk through the Bible seminars, they say, David, whole heart. Solomon, half heart. Rehoboam, no heart. That was his son. So it, it slides real quickly if we're not careful. And uh, we're searching for things. Solomon searched for stuff. Even though he was the wisest guy in the world, he was searching for something, and it, and it wasn't pleasure, and it wasn't wealth, and it wasn't fame, and it wasn't any of these things. Nothing could satisfy what his search was for. You can see it in some of our professional athletes today. They're famous. They're at the top of their game. What more could you ask for? Not only that, but a lot of them are multimillionaires. And I'm not talking about all athletes. There's some good Christian athletes out there, but some of the guys are still searching. So they'll have affairs. They'll have uh, sexual partners, hundreds of them, uh, because it's there. They're searching for something. And the wealth didn't do it. The fame didn't do it. The, the, the accolades, the praise of man didn't do it. They keep searching for something. I'll tell you what, you'll never be satisfied Someone uh, once said uh, that there's a, a, a God-sized hole in our hearts and only He can fill it. We try to fill it with lots of other things. And so you might have some friends that are searching, they're pursuing, they're, it's their job or their career or something. Nothing will ever satisfy except for God. And that's what we're talking about today. Paul, Paul was right on target when inspired by the Holy Spirit. He, he wrote these words. In Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, whenever you see the word therefore, you need to ask what the word therefore is there for. All right? So just a reminder, we've gone through, Paul's gone through a series of, of uh, exposés on the world is sinners. People out there, there's sin in the world. Then people who try to be moral, that doesn't cut it either. They're still sinners. Then people who are religious, really religious, and, and toe the line, that doesn't cut it. They're still sinners. Eventually, he says, we're all sinners. There is none righteous, no, not one. But he doesn't leave us there. God doesn't leave us there. And then uh, um, Paul just gave us a review of Abraham's life, how Abraham didn't waver. When God called him out of the land that, that he was living in, a Abraham was a pagan. He wasn't a Christian. He wasn't a Jew. He was a pagan that God called and said, Come and go to the land that I will show you. So by faith, Abraham obeyed God, and God counted him as righteous. And that's our journey with God, is we obey what God tells us. So he says, Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, 
We have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. Because of our faith. He's repeating it, emphasizing it. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand. And we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. There's a lot of power in those two little verses. There's a sermon in there. There's probably a whole uh, college-level course in in those couple of verses. Uh, But we're going to ask God to open our hearts and open our understanding today and lead us and guide us into all truth. So number one here, Paul says that true peace, we're talking about true peace with God, will not come until we are made right in God's sight. He says, therefore, since we've been made right, we have been, it's past tense, made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God. Now, we're made right in God's sight, not in our sight. It's according to God's standard, not our standard. God has a standard that's way higher than our standard because we cut ourselves a lot of slack in our living. We'll say to ourselves, I don't care if you're a teenager or an old ager. <laughs> we cut ourselves a lot of slack. We go, I'm not so bad. I didn't, I didn't mean to do that. You know, we judge ourselves by our intentions and we judge other people by their actions. We know that, that's for sure. Uh, but this isn't our standard, it's God's standard. And God's standard is perfection. If you read the law, read through the law, it's impossible. And the law is a tutor. It's something that instructed us so that we would know what is right or what is wrong. So it's God's standard, uh, not ours. So when we're justified, when we have been justified, and and I'm going to go over this over and over because we need to know this and you need to teach it to other people. And and young people, when you're old, you need to teach it to your kids if Jesus hasn't come back. When we say yes to Jesus, we're justified. We're declared righteous. The judge's gavel is slammed on the bench and said, you are righteous. There's no sin uh, in you. You're declared righteous, whether you like it or not, whether you believe it or not, you're declared righteous. Sometimes we have a hard time with this personally. You don't know what I've done. And God says, you're righteous. So that has been done. We're justified. A very simple childlike definition of justification is just as if I've never sinned. Uh, But it's not just taking away your negative balance, so to speak. It's also giving you everything in the positive area, all the rights and privileges of being his child. It's wonderful. It's a wonderful place. That's done. That's finished. So why do I have to do anything now? Why doesn't God just take us to heaven as soon as we accept Jesus? Dear Jesus, I believe in you. Poof! Like, where'd they go? Well, we're here to tell others about Jesus. We're here because God has a job for you to do. And if you don't believe that, I'm telling you, if you are breathing, you still have work to do for Him. That is our past salvation, our our justification. Uh, He speaks here about our glorification Uh, In verse 2, that's our future salvation. We will be saved. We have been saved. We will be saved. What about right now? We are being saved. That's our sanctification. That's this walk that we're in. And uh, sometimes people don't understand it. And they start to think that, okay, I'm I'm working now. This walk of faith I'm in now is going to save me. No, we have been saved. Now, because of that, we're going to walk this out. 
It's like the children of Israel. They came out of Egypt to go into the promised land. God never took you out of your old life to leave you wandering in the desert. He took you out of so that you could go into all his promises for you and live this real life that we spoke about last week, this real life, true life uh, that Jesus came for us, this abundant life. So when the children of Israel went into the promised land, there had been miracles. There was the plagues in Egypt. There was the parting of the Red Sea. There was manna and water for 40 years in the desert. Their stuff didn't wear out. And, and they went over the uh, Jericho, uh, the, the Jordan River on dry land, just like the Red Sea, and the walls of Jericho fell down. All these miracles to take them into the promised land. So when you came out of your old land, Egypt represents your old life, your sinful life, and God brought you, delivered you out of there. So it took some miracles for you. Sometimes when people get saved, they stop cussing. And sometimes they stop their addictions. And sometimes they stop being angry all the time. Uh, Whatever it is, God will do a miracle in your heart where you are saved. And then God said to the children of Israel when they went into the promised land, Okay, I I got some miracles to get you here. Now you know what you got to do? You got to go fight for the rest of it. You got to take it step by step. I'm not going to give all that to you at once. I want you to learn to trust me. I want you to learn to have victories. I want you to learn to be strong and believe me uh, and take me at my word, those kind of things. So that's where we are. If we've said yes to Jesus, we're in this sanctification process. We are being saved. We have been saved. We're being saved. We will be saved. And this is where we have to, well, maybe God delivered us from some things, but not everything. God's always working on something in us. Anybody want to share what theirs are? No. <laughs> what if we had a what if we had a little video display right on our forehead of everything we're thinking? Would you keep the cover on it? Or would you let everybody see? We know who we are. Nobody needs to tell us how bad we are. We know the we know the the depths of our own sin. In fact, we're probably the one that's most upset with ourselves than anybody else. You think your spouse is mad at you? You're mad at you. And so that's our process of that God is delivering us from these things. So he says, you know, this thing in your life, we've got to take care of this. I want you to trust me because we're going to fight this. And I'll give you the strength to do that. And pretty soon, if you look back through your journal or think back a couple, three years ago, you go, ah, the thing I was struggling with before, that's not, a, that's not an issue anymore. I've got new issues. <laughs> There's always another one. And God's going to keep working on you. You're going to keep uh, taking this land step by step until the day you meet Jesus. Isn't that encouraging? All right? Because he wants you to be a warrior generation. He wants you to be a generation that trusts him and that believes him at his word. And that he will deliver you. He'll see you through. He'll see you through the giants in the land. He'll see you through the droughts. He'll see you through uh, the tough times. And he'll give you victories as well. Isn't that great to follow him? So the person who's justified stands in God's presence. They stand before God saved. In other words, we, we can actually come into the presence of God. He's a holy God and we can, we're allowed. It's like he's bending the scepter to receive us when we're justified because he sees us as sinless. We're standing before him saved. We stand in the favor of God and we stand in the privileges of God. And we stand in the promises of God. That's being justified. And then we have, because of that, we have peace with God. That means we have the sense and knowledge that a person is restored in their relationship with God. We come back 
uh, to relationship with God, this peace with God. I didn't say this in the first service this morning, but I always picture that thing on Forrest Gump. I don't recommend the movie. Um, but many people see when Lieutenant Dan's up in the crow's nest during the hurricane, shaking his fist at God. Is that all you got? Like this. And Forrest Gump the next morning goes, well, I guess Lieutenant Dan made his peace with God that night. No, he didn't. Peace with God is on his terms, not our terms. It's not a negotiation. Peace with God comes by what Jesus did at the cross when he paid the penalty for our sin. And that's it. And so this is what Paul is talking about. So peace with God uh, means that we're no longer separated from God, that we're reconciled, that we're accepted by God, that we're freed from the wrath and the judgment of God, and that we're freed from fearing, fear, living a life of fear there, and, and that we're now pleasing to God, and that we have the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. So Paul was speaking to first century Christians here in Rome, and they understood the Romans uh, required peace. What they did was they imposed uh, their peace. They enforced their peace upon you. That's not what God does here. This is a peace between us and Almighty God. The Life Application Bible Commentary says this. It's not on the notes. I got this early this morning, sitting by the fire. Peace means there is no more hostility between us and God. No sin blocking our relationship with Him. More than that, a new relationship has been established so we no longer dread the outcome of judgment but live under the protection established by God. This is true peace with God. So this morning, uh, we're talking about Paul's speaking about peace with God. We're, just a little side note, we're not talking about peace with ourselves. We're not talking about peace with others or the world. And we're not talking about peace with the devil. Those things are still going to bother us. We're going to have trials and troubles in this world. But our peace with God, which is eternal, the most important thing, we have peace with God. All right? So back to this. Um, number two, true peace with God is only possible because of what Jesus has done for us. Verse 1 says we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. What did he do? That's the gospel. That's the good news. I want to encourage each one of you to pull out that 30-second or 90-second testimony out of the vault that you practiced once a long time ago. And if you never have, come up with an elevator testimony. You know what I'm talking about? You just got a short time with somebody, and that might be all the time you get, but you can drop some seed and share what Jesus did for you. Don't be ashamed of what Jesus has done for you. You might be that what that person needs to change their thinking from going this way, uh, okay, this way. Maybe they're not to God yet, but then somebody down the road, they're going to do their part, and they're going to change them, and then pretty soon their heart is going to be toward God. And Paul said, one plants, another one waters, but God brings the increase. So do your part and be ready to share uh, your testimony. That's the gospel. So come up with 30 seconds of where you were before Jesus. Then 30 seconds, how you met Jesus, how you came to him. And 30 seconds, how your life has been since then. And, and be able to share that with family and friends. They might ne never listen to you again, but you can get it out there. It's not your job to make them receive it. It's your job to tell it, all right, to be a witness of what Jesus has done. And you have a story. How you met Jesus. 
And nobody can take that story away from you. Nobody can. They can't. Because God changed your life. Amen. So, uh, I looked up a few accounts of the gospel in ten words or less. So we're going to do these three, each one of these. So here's the first one. Jesus' death and resurrection completes God's plan to redeem mankind. That's the gospel in ten words or less. Right, maybe you can come up with so, Somebody tweet me or text me or something, the gospel in ten words or less. So just a side note here, Jesus lived up to his name. Remember back in Isaiah? He shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. True peace, eternal peace is only found in Jesus. So, number three. True peace is only possible when we truly believe what Jesus has done for us. Verse 2 says, because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place. So, this belief or this faith requires action. The devil believes in God, but doesn't have faith in God. You can have a mental assent. Yeah, there's a God. Yeah, I believe that Jesus did that. But are you placing your trust in? Are you relying on Him? Is your faith in Him? That's what this is talking about. Not only did we believe, but we believed enough to act on it. And each one of you demonstrated faith today, coming in this room. You demonstrated faith by walking up to a chair believing that it would hold you up, that Paul didn't come in early and undo the screws on like eight chairs in here. You don't know which one it was. You believed that the chair would hold you up and you had such a strong belief in that that you sat down on it. That's faith. You acted upon your belief. So Paul is saying here that our faith requires this action what, that we believe that Jesus is who he said he is and that he did what he said he would do. That is our faith in action. That's what Abraham did. He didn't do anything. As a pagan, God called him and he came to the new land that God said, I'll show you where to go. Uh, you don't even know where to go. I'll show you where to go. So Abraham packed up, packed up his family, packed up everybody. He acted upon his belief in God. That's faith. Now, even the faith that we do have comes from God. So it all comes from Him. We need to be very grateful. Here's another short gospel message. Blood-bought covenantal intimacy with God for sinners through Jesus. I think those are fun. How, how quickly can you share the gospel? Not, that's not the point, to just share the gospel quickly, but we want to share it thoroughly. But when you just have a, a moment to drop a seed... And it requires us uh, to put a little bit of thought in it. Number four, true peace with God is only possible because of God's grace. His unmerited favor. Verse two in the New Living Translation says, this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand. Parents, your kids really mess up. You're just like, you love them, but you can't stand them. And kids, sometimes you do that with your parents. You love them, but wah, like this, all right? And so parents, you tell your kids to sit down at the dinner table. All right? Come on, it's time for dinner. Let's all sit down. You don't deserve dinner, but because of my grace, you're going to eat, all right? Because of your 
undeserved privilege of being my child, you're going to sit at this table, all right? To a much greater degree, God Almighty says to us, you don't deserve it. I created you. I made you. I planned for you. I loved you before you even knew me. And you turned your back on me and went your own way. But I still love you and I still have my hand of grace extended to you. You don't deserve it, but it's yours because I want you to say yes to Jesus. I want you to be part of my family. And when you do, I will give you all the rights and the privileges. I'll give you an inheritance that the world cannot give. It's undeserved. The difference between grace and mercy is mercy is not getting what you do deserve. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. We don't deserve it. I remember Terry's grandpa uh, preaching as a teenager. I heard him say, he said, you can remember grace like this, G-R-A-C-E, God's redemption at Christ's expense. Redemption means to redeem, like you redeem a coupon. We were away from God. We had been taken by the devil, and God bought us back. He redeemed us. He had to pay again. He created us, and then he had to pay for us again to get us back a second time. So while salvation is free for us, it costs Jesus a lot. Don't ever forget that. That's what makes us so grateful and thankful for what he did for us. We didn't deserve it. We didn't deserve it. We don't deserve it. But he extended his hand of grace to us anyway. A short definition of the gospel, undeserved wretches find redemption at the cross. That word wretch, most of us learned that word when we sang the hymn Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. You know, John Newton wrote that hymn several hundred years ago. Do you know what John Newton did before he was saved? He was a slave trader. One of the most wicked, sinful, despicable, ungodly jobs that anybody could do is trade in human beings. When he came to Jesus, he realized how merciful God was, how awesome God was. And he said, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. And when we get truthful before God, and we see ourselves for who we really are. And that He so freely forgives us when we just ask Him. Our lives should be so full of gratitude and thankfulness. It's amazing. It's amazing to me how somebody could hear the gospel over and over and over and just have a real slack attitude. Ah, yeah, Jesus died. Oh, oh, like this. And, and there's, there's no light on there's nothing there. And this extension of grace to us is so magnificent. It's so awesome. I'm so thankful for what God has done for us. 
So how do we apply this to our life? Well, number one is a summation of these verses. True peace with God is only possible when we truly believe what Jesus has done and humbly receive God's grace. Once again, therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Because of this faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand. We stand there. There's there's something about that standing. Because Jesus forgave me, I have a right to stand here. I have a right to represent Him. I have the right to tell others about Him. I have the right to walk with my head up and not... Oh, what a worm I am. And, but he's given me this confidence and this hope. And, and, and I love this. I remember as a kid spending summers at the beach. Um, and these giant waves are coming at you. You ever gone to the seashore and giant waves are coming at you? Well, you're like this tall and the wave is like this tall, so it's a really big wave. Nowadays, it would come up to our waist. But when you're a kid there, you're standing that wave. Come and get me. Come and take me. Try to take me down. I'm going to stand here. You know, we have this boldness and confidence to face whatever this world will throw at us because He's given us this confidence to stand before and to know and to acknowledge what He has done for us. Another short definition here. I love this one here. It's only seven words. Six words. Nine words, sorry. God made it. Humans broke it. Jesus fixed it. Number two here, application. True peace with God is made possible when by faith we receive God's grace um, will result in a confident and joy-filled life. So this confidence and joy that he gives. I love that picture of, of, of standing you know that confidence here. Here's that picture. Have you ever seen lion? Uh, not the lion, the witch, and the war, but What's the next one? The Prince Caspian of the Chronicles of Narnia. Chronicles of Narnia series is a great an, uh, analogy of God's love to us through the ages. It's a very brilliant picture uh, for kids and and adults alike. Um, the books are. I'm not so sure about the movies. Pretty close, but. When Lucy is standing by herself on one end of the bridge, you know, the whole army, the bad army is coming across and just Lucy standing there, this little girl standing there by herself, and she whips out her little knife mm-hmm. like that. And then around the corner comes Aslan, which is a representation of Jesus. When we have Jesus on our side, we can be confident. We can stand in confidence with whatever the world throws us. And we can be full of joy. We can be a people who are full of joy. You know, joy is not happiness. Happiness is temporary. If you win the lottery, you're going to be happy. Guarantee it. But not for long. Statistics tell us that almost everybody after 10 years doesn't have any of that left. And most of them way worse off than they were before. Because they're putting their hope in something that's fleeting. But if we put our hope in something which is eternal, Jesus, then we can have joy in the midst of troubles. Joy is deep and lasting. And the joy of the Lord is our strength. And joy comes 
in the morning. Sorrow lasts for a night, but joy comes in the morning. And in His presence is fullness of joy. There's all this stuff that, because of what He's done for us, we can be joy-filled and full of hope looking toward the future. So, Paul didn't quite get it in ten words or less. But this is how he shares the gospel. Therefore, since we've been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. I want to encourage you, especially during this Christmas season, when people are a little more open to hearing the reason Jesus came. Ask God to put somebody on your heart. Think of a family member or a friend who doesn't know Jesus. Ask, ask God to give you a divine appointment or creative idea to share your story with somebody, even if it's only to drop a seed. Not dropping it with guilt or condemnation. Not coming as holier than thou, but sharing your story, which is yours, between you and the Lord. Nobody can take that away from you. But ask God to give somebody to you. I, I know that people have prayed this and seen God come through in a miraculous way with people they never thought would come to Jesus. Prayed for family members for decades. Craig and Deborah were just in the service earlier and, and Deborah had prayed for Craig for 16 years. And... and God answered that prayer. Don't give up. Yeah. Don't give up praying for people. Don't forget that this year's our, our theme is go therefore. That when we leave those doors, we're going out into the mission field. I'm talking to believers here this morning. Most of us here are believers. We have a job to do. Not to get some kind of Christian notch on your gunslinger belt, <laughs> but because people need Jesus. Right. And you have the good news. And if somebody you knew was dying and you had the medicine that would cure them, you wouldn't withhold it. You would give it to them. And if we really believe that, we'll, before God, He'll give us the strength to be able to share with people. And those of you that have questions and, and don't know if you want to follow Jesus because you don't have the questions answered yet, keep asking good, honest questions. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that seeking. Jesus said, seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened unto you. Keep seeking. Keep knocking. I believe that other people's prayers will be answered in you, and that you're searching. You'll find the answer. Father, thanks for this word from Paul today. We thank you that the gospel is good news, and the good news is good. And the good news says that there is a God in heaven who loves us and made a way for us to have peace with Him. Father, I pray that we would settle in our hearts this morning before we leave, that we will pick this up, pick up the mantle and run with it. That we'll take it into our sphere of influence, that we'll be a light in the darkness this week. Thank you, Lord, for this privilege we have. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.